the Janine refugee camp, which is in the north of the illegally occupied West Bank, was just raided by Israeli forces, and that was a raid of scale and intensity that we haven't seen in 20 years in the West Bank. So it's, it's a very big deal, and we have to talk about it. It's a raid that has just ended as I'm recording this episode now on the 4th of July. We saw Israeli soldiers entering the city, entering, entering the refugee camp itself, and military vehicles and tanks. We saw drones. Uh, we saw bombings of buildings here in Janine. We saw bulldozers come in and destroy the roads. And today, when you look at the video footage that I'm linking to, of course, in the description of my episode, Janine looks like a war zone. On one hand, it's just another example of the Israeli state violence and what an occupier can do to the occupied with impunity saying that it's fighting terrorism. On the other hand, it's still more complex, it's still more nuanced, and it's still very significant. So in my episode, what I want to do today is to give you that immediate context and the context that we really need, that we really need to talk about if we want to understand and if we want to understand where this violence is actually coming from, because it's very structural, right? And if we want to do that, and I hope you do, we obviously need to ask, okay, whose story, whose narrative are we consuming? Is it just the Israeli state narrative? We take it and we run with it, as the state media reports. Or do we look at the Palestinian narrative and say, okay, what's the perspective of these people, the indigenous people of the region, and what's being done to them. And also how far into history we want to take that narrative, we want to see what's been happening, when are we just freezing a moment in time and say, oh look, this is just this kind of violence, or do we go deeper and we say, I want to understand the root causes, let's go. So I'm not saying that this episode is all you need to know about Janine, because there is so much obviously, that you should be looking into, and I'm linking to various resources once again in the description of my episode. But now, as I dive in, I will present the immediate context, the broader context, and the very important questions that we really need to ask if, once again, our intention is to understand what's happening and to understand who really has the power to stop this violence. So, Thank you so much for being here and let me dive in. So when we talk about Janine, many things come to mind and there are definitely many questions to ask. And one of them, a very simple one, is why was there a raid in the refugee camp and how does Israel explain it or justify it? And uh, we know that Janine has been historically one of the strongholds, so Janine and Naples as well, but Janine especially of the Palestinian resistance. Resistance to what? To a military occupation. But then I don't think that that's how it's called really in Israel, right? When you think about it, and it's oftentimes uh, presented as Palestinian terrorism by the Israeli state. And we know that terrorism, interestingly, doesn't have one straightforward definition, so I want to record a separate episode just on that because this concept can be very easily used and abused and it's definitely the case of how Israel uses it sometimes and it's definitely using it in the case of Janine too. 
And this is a very blanket explanation of what Israel or why Israel does what it does. And this is something that we have to question as we go more deeply into our analysis, of course. So these raids by Israel, they have intensified this year. We saw a raid in Nablus. We saw uh, Ramallah being raided. Janine had its own raids this year, including deadly raids, including miners being killed. So that's the very immediate context. If we go historically, interestingly, when we say, oh, this raid, this raid that we're seeing now, it's the most intense since 20 years ago. 20 years ago, there was a huge raid by the Israeli military called the Battle of Janine, and that was in 2002 in April, uh, where over 50 Palestinians got killed and I believe over 30 Israeli soldiers. It was a massive invasion, very destructive, houses destroyed, people had to flee, some people had to flee, a very large-scale operation uh, in Janine almost exactly 20 years ago, which only serves to illustrate how important how important Janine is uh, for Palestinian resistance and how it's seen also by the Israeli forces. So Janine has a very painful history, and in that history we have to ask Right, another layer of context, why is there a refugee camp in Janine? Who made people refugees? Why do they live there? Where are they from? And how come they cannot come back home, even though that is uh, a right of the refugees under the international law? And I think you might guess what the answer is in this case, and that is because Israel ethnically cleansed Palestinians from their homes, well, to establish the state right of Israel in 1948 and what uh, preceded that. And the Janine refugee camp, just like many other camps in Palestine, in the West Bank, was established to accommodate some of the Palestinian refugees. People would live there, of course, thinking that one day they can return to the lands that they're from and because it's so close, right? But Israel has never allowed these refugees to come back, even though that's guaranteed once again by the international law, which Israel, you know, is another case that Israel doesn't respect. So if you're saying, oh my goodness, look at these people doing something bad in a refugee camp, and you ask questions about that, I invite you to ask this question as well. Why is there a refugee camp in Janine? What had to happen and to continue, including a military occupation, for people to keep on living there. Because if we omit that context, we have no analysis. What is an analysis if we don't look at the historic context? And I understand when we look at the historic context, you cannot talk about all the things that ever happened, but this is a very big one. This is objectively a very important thing to talk about. And so from this point of history, it becomes easier to answer the question, okay, we have this violence, it seems to be cyclical, and it seems to be structural. What is it about? And who has the power to end it? And these are the questions that I think we wrap any smaller questions inside. The questions like, well, do you justify when civilians are being attacked in Israel? To which you say, of course not. To which you say, of course not, why would I be advocating 
any harm done to civilians? Like, why, why would that be a question? And then you, you know, might ask the question back, do you advocate a military raid in the refugee camp? So we can kind of be throwing these questions back and forth. But I think for, once again, a better analysis, we have to go to the net next level and ask the questions that should surround these smaller questions, which is, once again, why the structure of violence and who has the power to end it? And this is where we kind of have to go into the concept that might seem very vague and very subjective, but we do have some definitions of it in the international law. That is the concept of justice. And I've seen some arguments when I talk about Palestine uh, used that are kind of disregarding the international law. People saying, I don't think the occupation is illegal. To which I would say, okay, then you're not really arguing with me, then you should argue with international law experts and various international organizations, and you should question the whole system of international law that we have, which you can question. Then the discussion becomes not about, oh, I am on this side, I'm on this side. It's more about, I don't like the international law. And that's a different discussion. But in the international law, if we say that it's based on some kind of principles of justice and the system isn't perfect, doesn't definitely work perfectly at all, but that's the system we currently have and maybe it's the best at the moment, then in it we say, okay, so what would justice look like if we just take as a bare minimum the international law? Then, and okay, the military occupation is illegal, the settlements are illegal, dismantle the settlements, uh, dismantle your checkpoints, don't control the borders that are not yours, don't keep people in Gaza under siege, don't steal the tax money from the Palestinian Authority. We know it's, 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 it's been happening. There are a lot of things and the Israeli government should stop doing and dismantle. Allow the refugees to come back to where they're from, obviously threatening the imposed majority of the Jewish people in Israel. Because if you claim that one religious group is superior and want to keep that majority, yes, allowing people to come back would threaten that. But if you want to act according to the national law, then this is what you should do. So it's the occupier that has the power to end the occupation. It is the government that is oppressing others by imposing, for example, a legal system of apartheid that has the power to end it. It's a nuclear state with a super advanced military that it's testing on the Palestinians, we know, and then exporting very successfully that has the military power, the military might to end it. And if you're not seeing the power dynamics here by now, it's strange. It's strange. So, as long as you have a whole system and a historic bundle of injustices. Of course you will see violence, of course you will see resistance to the occupation as well, something that we say it's fine in Ukraine because white people and the occupier is Russia and it's not okay in Palestine. So very clear hypocrisy, very, very, very clear in the use policy 
in how the world sees everything. Very, very clear hypocrisy there, very clear double standards. So this is how deep you have to go if you want to understand what's happening in Janine and if you want to see from where that structure of violence stems. And that structure of violence, I know I started my episode by saying that Janine looks like a war zone. And I will say, when we talk about structure of violence, there's so much of it in Palestine that many regions for you, if you've never seen Palestine before, some regions might look already like a war zone without a military raid. Because what is structure of violence? That's the very obvious sort of physical violence. That would be a system of, of checkpoints and, 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 and systems of control of the daily lives of the Palestinians. That's the poverty that's very much man-made. That's the traumas in the Palestinian children, the children that are harassed by soldiers, beaten by soldiers, arrested by soldiers and put into military jails. No other country does that to children in Israel. Isn't that violence? It's the daily violence with all of its forms. It's the daily humiliation. It's the daily reminder that you are inferior and you are not being seen as a real human. If you live in the West Bank, you live under a military law. You cannot vote in Israel. You cannot even go to see Jerusalem and the sea without a permit. Which maybe doesn't sound that violent, but it's not even that, you know? And, you know, I was thinking whether to add this part, because it's not even a point that I would be making myself, but it's more taking a point that someone else would make and say, you know what, let's take this point and let's go with it. And that point is, when we talk about historic injustices, and I'm saying, okay, let's go deeper, let's go deeper, I know that many people would say, well, but the Jewish people and the suffering, and don't you think that, 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 that to which I would say, of course, no one especially people who've been oppressed historically and, and, and people who happen to be minorities in some regions. Of course, people deserve to live in peace and have that dignity and the basic respect for human life and protection from different kinds of oppression, of course. But one, I refuse to see someone's status as the oppressed as a green light to then oppress others. I think that's not the paradigm that I would like to live in and I, and I reject it. So what's being done now by the Israeli state to the Palestinians saying, well, we were oppressed before, so we're gonna, so we're gonna oppress you now. I personally disagree. But even, and this is, this is what I'm gonna say, even, let's say, let's say I agreed. Let's say that I, I, I say, you know what? Yes, you know, you were oppressed. Now you oppress others. Even if you take this horrible, I think, I know it's a normative statement, if you take this horrible argument, then it shouldn't be the people of Janine. It shouldn't be the Palestinian children. It shouldn't be the non-Jewish residents of the historic Palestine that should be paying the price, so to speak. You know who it should be? It should be me. I am from Eastern Europe. I'm from Lithuania. 
where a very high percentage of its Lithuanian Jewish population was killed by the Nazi occupiers and by Lithuanians themselves. It should be Poland, it should be Germany, of course, should be the Netherlands. So if we take that oppression for oppression, we can justify it. It should be the Europeans, right? It should be my country, it should be my region, it should be me. And it's nothing new to say that Europeans kind of outsource their guilt and said, you know, who's going to pay the price? Who's going to deal with what we did? It's going to be the Palestinians. I'm not saying anything shocking here. This is so known. And it also explains why some countries, including my own, are big supporters of Israel because of that historic guilt, which I think we should have. It's just how we're using it you know, is, is weird. So if someone wants to say, no, you should go deeper, no, your analysis is not deep enough because look at the historic things. So this would be my answer then. I don't like the argument. I don't like the, the premise of the argument. But if we take it, let's say, you know what, let's take the argument. Let's take that argument and let's go with it. And this is what we would find. So that injustice, when we talk about Palestine, it might sound like this vague concept and this grandiose word, but that's because there's so much of it on so many levels in Palestine. So the justice becomes a big deal because it's so not there. And this is what the raid in Janine once again illustrates. That we can go that deep when we talk about Palestine and we have to go that deep if we want to dismantle narratives that are saying that the oppressor is defending itself from the people that it's occupying. I hope you see it too. I hope it makes it easier for you to speak out. And I hope that you do it. Because look what's been happening in Palestine this year. And obviously look what's been happening there for decades. My goodness, we know that speaking out is very, very important. It's still very needed. It's still very relevant when we talk about Palestine. So thank you so much for being curious. Thank you so much for your time. And I hope to see you soon.